Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another day for a cool interview and I've got Sherilyn Gibbs with me. Sharon is a, a heroic warrior, a shield maiden. And why is she that? Because she has been the partner of someone who was battling with addiction. And it's those partners that are the unsung heroes in my, in my world where I have been an alcoholic now in recovery. And without my wife, I doubt that I'm here walking this earth nowadays. And here you are, another warrior princess, so to speak, who has been doing the hard work, who has been in the background and has supported and helped a man down the line. And that is what I want to talk today about. So, Sheldon, thank you very much for coming on board. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I think it's exciting to that we can both proudly say that we our marriages have made it through these difficult times. And it's, um, the women definitely um, have done their part, but I, it's a definitely amazing when a man decides to, decides to change his life, that that healing can come to the couple. So I think that's something that we can both celebrate. So mm. very exciting. Thank you for having me. Uh, and we both live Conf I don't know what the word nowadays is. Uh, we both live lives where you're a woman and you're married to a man. It does not matter. The lessons that we both are learning and have learned and have gone through, they apply to any same-sex couple. They apply to any kind of other uh, combination that you could imagine where one person loves another person who is suffering from addiction. So let's get that out of the way. So when we use his or her, etc., then it is just because that is our background. That is that is what we are. So if anyone is out there of the LGBTQ plus community, please don't don't misunderstand us. It is just that is who we are. Yeah, that's cool. been our experience. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Wow. Um, we are sitting here in 2020 and i'm sure when you were a younger girl you didn't really think that one day hey i'm going out there i'm going to support women who have uh lived hard lives with an alcoholic that's not how you started out um what was your dream when you were at school what did you want to be well i wanted to be many things i think the one thing i remember going to college thinking I was going to go into auto engineering. Cool. So I was going to, yeah, I was going to create a computerized cars. So maybe, you know, I could have given a Tesla a run for his money if, uh, <laughs> if I'd hung in there. <laughs> Good on you. I want to see your garage. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no. Um, but other than that, you know, as a, I think every girl dreams of growing up, getting married, not every girl to say me, my experiences. I grew up wanting to grow, you know, get up, grow up, get married and ha start a family. And uh, so I, my uh, garage days did come to an end. You know, I did support my husband going through school and I do have a, an associate's degree. Um, but 
Yeah, that's kind of how. So we got married when I was um, 19 and he was 21. So we were both pretty young. We knew each other about maybe six months from the courtship to the marriage. So we got married pretty quickly. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I was naive back then and I thought I was going to have a fairy tale a fairy tale life. Like I'd come to my happy ending, you know, I'd gotten married. I found my prince, you know, and then, um, a couple weeks into our marriage, um, we were getting ready to go back to school and I was asleep and I woke up in the, in the bed alone and I heard computer keys tapping in the, in the, in the other room. So I said to myself, Oh, I'm sure he's, you know, nervous about school. And, um, and so I decided I'd go check on him. And when I went into the other room, I found out that he had been looking at pornography and my heart sunk and my dreams shattered. And I was totally in shock. You know, um, I didn't expect this quickly into the marriage that we were going to come, come across these kind of challenges. And so it really um, took me back. And so I, confronted him about it and and I froze and so I just kind of went back to the bedroom and laid there by myself and he took him a long time to come back in and then when he came back in I asked him what he was doing and he admitted to it and then he kind of rolled over and went to sleep and so I just sat there reeling you know my mind was reeling and um I had you know I took things very personal you know I thought well this is all my fault somehow I don't measure up, you know, um, I took the blame, you know, I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't any of those things. And so two weeks into the marriage, I started to really doubt, doubt myself as a, as to doubt my womanhood. And so, like you said, I never dreamed that I would, um, come out the other side and would be helping other women, um, you know, not to take the blame for these kind of things and to, feel your emotions and to embrace yourself and help others embrace you. But that's what I'm excited about. That's what I'm passionate about. So. (laughs) But that was certainly not then. I I assume that you didn't have a background in any kind of psychology, et cetera. You were, you were planning on, on doing manly things and finding your way out there into the world and, uh, stamp, uh, leave a stamp, leave a mark on it um, that you are a young woman going out there. So no real, did you have ever your own kind of, of demons before that? Did you ever see a psychologist yourself for, for anxiety or for anything else? No, I lived a pretty good childhood. I had two parents um, that loved me and they nurtured, uh, they were I real close with both of them. And I they nurtured, um, you know, I was an independent person, you know, um, they helped me follow my dreams. I was, you know, I was a, I was a cheerleader and I was really proud of that. So this was kind of the first time, um, that I really kind of ever experienced something so painful, you know? So it was, um, and the, one of my biggest regrets was I didn't share it with anybody Mm. for, um, probably six or seven years. I kept it, I kept this a secret the whole time. So I, I really did, um, isolate 
and my it just made my wounds fester and it really caused a lot of uh, emotional baggage for me so that was one mistake if i could go back i would i would change <laughs> i think the reality is you in your mind you made it your problem you made it your fault you were full of shame and guilt about the whole thing which is probably something that that with hindsight you would think how the hell did i end up with that yet mm -hmm. it is automatically you it is so common that i hear uh, people telling me exactly that reaction the shame and guilt for something that someone else actually has done mm -hmm. and it is it is bizarre but i agree with you it is a brutal brutal feeling your your husband i mean at that time you were you felt betrayed you felt you felt shameful to a certain degree guilt whilst you kept it all in yourself for the next seven years how did it continue between the two of us between two of two of you sorry well to be honest i didn't really understand that it was an addiction because the the um you know as addiction goes it gets worse and worse and so the beginning days were um i was naive i just didn't really understand the depth and he was hiding everything so there i didn't understand the depth of the problem. And so I just kind of thought it was going to go away, you know, and um, I didn't really, you know, I guess for myself, when we fall down and hurt our, hurt our skin or bruise our body, there's signs of, of trauma there. You know, like if I were to break my arm, there would be some definite signs of, of trauma to my, to my bones and that kind of stuff. But I didn't really understand emotional trauma. I didn't understand emotional pain. And so it took me a long time to really kind of wrap my head around the fact that I was actually doing things unhealthy. You know, it was like the shame and the isolation. I didn't realize that it was so unhealthy for many, many years, you know. And so for myself, it just kind of snowballed and the snowball kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and um, does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. May I ask, what was your escape? What was the way how you dealt with that? Because the pain was there. The pain yeah. was was deep-seated. How did you deal with it? I think I denied it, you know, in denial. Um, you know, just kind of sweeping it under the, under the, under the, the carpet, you know, um, pretending like it wasn't really there. And then also... I hate to admit it, but I was probably self-righteous, you know, thinking that, you know, my husband's so glad that he married me because I'm going to save him and, you know, and uh, uh, this kind of, you know, attitude. And um, so probably very, you know, belittling to him, you know, but um, but I tried to control the situation, you know. Um, mm. Of course you would. So, yeah. I think that's very normal when you mm. feel unsafe, you want to control. Absolutely. It's yeah. your protective mechanism. You try yeah. to protect yourself. That's the immediate, immediate logical thing for you to do. Yeah. That can, however, backfire. Um, the nagging, the, the, the way it can be perceived negatively by him. Mm -hmm. Was that the case? Yeah, definitely. Um, it seemed like we did have a period where 
things were well between us, but as things kept escalating, the more control, the more I felt insecure, the more I felt unsafe, the more I felt a need to control, you know, and so checking text messages, you know, um, ask, you know, drilling him on where he's been, you know, um, you know, these kind of things, getting into power struggles, you know, um, that kind of stuff. And it hurts me to hear you speaking like that, because obviously I was on the other side causing that same pain to my wife. And in fairness, I would, uh, if another man had done that, I would have got happily ripped his head off and lived with the consequences. Yet here I was with my addiction, probably causing as much pain as I would have never tolerated anyone else to give to my wife. So it's quite brutal, but I think it's a message that we alcoholics or addicts need to learn and need to listen to. And these are the hard, the hard times when we actually get the mirror held in front of our face. And, mm-hmm. and these are the long discussions that you have to have in order to work through and come out the other end, hopefully in one piece. But that's certainly not a given, is it? I mean, what's the statistics? Um, Last time I looked, 70% of men and 60% of women do have an affair in their relationships, in their their marriages. Uh, 50% of the, the marriages end on the rocks. It is that the figures are actually daunting out there as far as the, the Western world is concerned, as far as America, New Zealand, uh, probably Europe is concerned. So the chances are stacked against us, uh, both against my wife and me, as it had been, and for you and your husband. How the hell are you still together? And in order to answer that question, we need to go a little bit back and sort of say, okay, things got worse before they got better. Tell us more when when you say things got worse. Well, um, it used to be just looking at pictures on the internet and then it escalated to, um, well, in my opinion, he would flirt with other women, you know, all along the way, you know, and I thought it was a, inappropriate, you know, and um, so I was, you know, like uh, one story was when we, after two weeks after we got married, we went to an event and he brought along another woman and it felt like I was the third wheel, you know, so he was having more conversation with her than he was with me and these kind of things occurred along the way. So then it went from, you know, that kind of stuff to, um, you know, sleeping with, with prostitutes, and uh, going to strip clubs, and um, and then it, I think the breaking point for us was he was regularly attending this one strip club when we lived in Seattle, and he kind of entered into a relationship with this with this stripper, um, and so he would you know go to the club and spend a lot of time with her, and they never really had a sexual relation, but he was spending hours and hours and hours with this, this woman. And then when I found out about it, I wanted to uh, get divorced. And so that's kind of where I started 
um, to say, this isn't going to work for me. You know, I've kind of had tolerated this the best I could trying to help, trying to support, you know, and then it basically came to the breaking point. I said, I just can't do this anymore. And so um, it wasn't a clean break, you know, uh, several years. Um, and, you know, my kids hate Christmas because every time Christmas comes around, we uh, said we were going to get divorced. So Christmas isn't one of their favorite holidays. <laughs> so, um, but it, it was, you know, just to prove the point that it wasn't, a, it wasn't easy. It was a very difficult process for us. But then, so we entered divorce court and the lawyers started uh, map, mapping out who was going to go where and all this kind of stuff. And we decided that um, this wasn't going to work for us. We'd actually wrap, it was going to get more complicated doing it this way than to try and reconcile. And so uh, my husband softened at that moment and he called off his lawyer and then I called off my lawyer and we decided to work it out. We still had a lot of work to do, but that was kind of the breaking point for us was that moment in time. I actually am very, very happy that you didn't say, oh, our, our love shone through the, the cracks in, in our outside, etc. You were very pragmatic. There were the children, there was the money, there were the, my God, it's get, only getting, getting worse. And mm -hmm. it's in the too hot basket and you might as well give it another yeah. shot. Because yeah. ultimately, this is, this is the reality. That's the reality for many couples. And you can, you can say that positively. If you ask older couples, i.e. couples that have been together for 50, 60 years, and they were married at the time, when, when you ask them, why, why are you still together? And, 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 you know, has it always been beautiful, etc.? And they say, well, actually, no, we come from a time where you would fix things. You don't just throw them on the rubbish heap. And it was a different expectation. It was a different life, etc. They are not saying, oh, it's beautiful and you, every day brings me roses and, and, and things like that. No, they say we had to work hard because mm -hmm. our life at times was really shit because there was, you know, they have gone through wars, they have gone through famines, through, through, uh, through situations that are actually uh, often far worse than what we can imagine nowadays. So, but it is the, the willingness to work together, the willingness to have the hard discussions. And mm -hmm. that is what makes a marriage survive and grow and get yeah. stronger and stronger. Wow. Wow. Yeah, like you uh, said, I think um, the one ingredient, my, my daughters are older now and they ask me, you know, what would you look for in a man? And I said, someone who will, is dedicated to work it, to work through the problems. Because when you find somebody who just will run at any difficulty, then, you know, your marriage, your whatever kind of relationship you're in, it's going to be, that's going to be the challenge. And so I agree with you that, you know, dedication is one of the top things that kind of makes it work, you know. It's hard for me again, because I was the guy who ran. 
I was the guy who had relationships that lasted three to six months. And then typically uh, the honeymoon period is over. Oh my God, no, I don't want that. Gone. And my emotional maturity was that of a cockroach, honestly. So, and, but it is what it is. I was born 66. My father, my, my stepfather, shall I say, his, his ideals were to, uh, to be a man, you have to bed as many women as you can. And it was sort of a, a, a fact. You know, alcohol is normal and be out there a real man defines himself by the number of women he has had. And with hindsight, it makes my skin crawl. Um, but it is what it is. It is. Was there, and I know that in America, there is, there's a lot of, there are a lot of problems at, in the youth. And when I, what I mean is the chalk culture, the, the kind of, of strong young men who are playing football and who don't take no for an answer. Has that been part and parcel of, of your experience? You were the cheerleader. What was he? I would say he was kind of the egghead, you know. He's a... <laughs> good, good. Yeah. The nerd. Nerds out there unite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we kind of, uh, no. you know, I like it to geek out about technical things. And okay. so we kind of, you know, meet in the middle there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. So that was not necessarily an influence then. Um, so with hindsight, when you started exploring your journeys together and when you started really working hard, how did that go? I mean, there was there was no trust left. Otherwise, you wouldn't have ended up in the the marriage uh, or in divorce lawyers' offices. So, yeah. where did you go from there? How did that work? Well, I think for myself, I realized that some I can't be dependent on someone else for my safety. I can't de be dependent on someone else's opinion if I'm lovable. I can't be dependent on someone else's um, ability to take care of me. And so I had to start owning up and being a person. I guess in psychology, they call it individuation. But I, I guess I liken it to um, a mom and a, a pregnant baby, you know, where the, 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 the baby, the mom takes care of the baby completely. It's completely dependent on the child. And I feel like I was kind of in that situation where... I just wanted my husband to kind of take care of me. And then I just slowly over time got a realization that I'm going to have to become my own person. And so I started to have, get my dreams back again. I started to talk nice to myself and be compassionate to myself. I started to know what emotional pain looks like and feels like, and to just be okay that, I'm in pain, you know, and I started to connect with other people, you know, I started to have boundaries, you know, where I wasn't going to put up with certain things, you know, I was and, um, or boundaries, you know, with my children, these kind of things. So I did a lot of self care, you know, um, I, um, have a history of, you know, not eating when I get, you know, stressed out. So, but I've leveled that out, you know, so it's like I, tell myself every time I 
sit down to a meal that I'm important and that I'm worth take my body's worth taking care of. So I just I feel like I kind of pulled the locus of control back to me, you know, instead of wanting him to take care of me, I just realized this is up to me. This is my life, you know, whether he's in it or not, I'm going to have to to step up to the plate and be my own person. So I mean, that's like didn't happen at once, you know, but slowly over the years, the more I became a person, the more he became a person, the more we could become a team, you know? So I think of a, Stephen Covey talks about dependent, independent, and then interdependent. You have to go through that transition. And I feel like the more we worked on ourselves, the more able we were able to come back together as a team. Beautifully, beautifully spoken. So true, but it is, you need to learn how to love yourself. You need to learn how to look after yourself. Who taught you? How did you learn? Was it all uh, trial and error or did you actually seek counseling or did you seek help? Was someone there instrumental in guiding you? You know, I wasn't, I'm an avid reader and to be honest, I'm self-educated. So uh, I, if you, I don't, I don't have my bookshelf behind me, but I read books, you know, so I have tons of books and I think they were my mentors. It, like I, um, when I first started out my journey 20, 25 years ago, there was, this topic wasn't even, um, it was shameful to talk about, you know? And so there wasn't really, I didn't have any examples of people who have overcome sex addiction as a couple. And so I just, and I did do see a few counselors here along the way, but I kind of got a bad taste in my mouth because I felt like I wanted, I had the answers inside of me. I wanted them to draw them out, but I felt like they were kind of in the expert mentality. And that was a, as it was a turnoff to me. And so I just, I don't know, hit the books, um, you know, and I, I feel like, and then I, you know, eventually as it became more and more uh, popular, you know, more and more people are coming out and saying that they're dealing with this kind of stuff. There became more groups and stuff. And so I would join those groups and glean from that. But I really do th think it was self-education is what got me how I learned, you know, and trial and error, try things that didn't work, you know, mm. hard knocks. <laughs> And I guess to a certain degree, there's only so much guidance you can get. You need to see what works for yourself and what works for your marriage. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no panacea. There is no universal, hey, if you do that, that's the way how you rescue your marriage. Nah, nah. Yeah. Just as much as there are 9 billion people out there who are very different, whilst there are common themes, uh, still, you are unique. So trial and error is part of it, I guess. And it is what it is. And you're quite right, because you said that uh, there were not so many self-help groups or, or groups for people who were living with others who suffer from addiction. The AA groups were initially just AA groups. Now, at some stage, Al-Anon was formed, which is a, a like an AA meeting for the loved ones who are involved with um, with addicts. So, was there something like that available to you? Did you did you see 
sex addiction as similar to other addictions? Or was that, did you not yet make that, that, that switch, that, that link? Yeah, I, I remember um, I went to see one of my religious counselors and they recommended that I go to a group that was mainly for men. And so I walked into that group. Uh, it was like set up like AA, but it was for people with addiction. And I was the only woman in the room and I was so intimidated. And, uh, you know, they went around the circle introducing themselves and then telling me what they've been struggling with. And I was getting triggered and triggered. And I, oh, I left yeah. the, the group thinking everybody is caught up in sex addiction, you know, because, you know, all these. So, I mean, that's just kind of my journey. And then um, they, and no one at that time really had didn't know what to do with the spouses. They, mm. when I went to talk to my religious leaders, they really didn't know what to do with me. You know, um, you would tell my family what happened and no one, no one really knew how to help. And I didn't really feel like there was really any um, support out there. And I think now as I mentor other women, there's definitely more support. And so I hopefully, I hope that the consequences are um, less severe because there's more information and more help out there for the spouses and the family members. So that's been the, what I, that's been my experience. And that's why we both are sitting here and sharing our experiences out there so that others listen up and from both sides of the story, listen up and learn and maybe put a willingness in there to make a change. Mm -hmm. you said that it was probably about seven years that you were together where you suffered in silence yourself and then things started to change for you was that coinciding with the with the divorce or was was there something else happening and the divorce came later no so i've just put it in kind of context the seven years were at the very beginning. Yeah. So the divorce was uh, maybe like six. We've been married for 25 years. So the divorce was probably six years ago. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. So there's so, quite a big gap in between there. And there's but a long what, journey. Yeah. Long journey. Definitely. Uh, so what kind of changed it for me was um, I had a friend that came over and we would exchange babysitting. And then one day I was scared, but I decided that I was going to just open up to somebody and kind of tell her what was going on. And she became that lifeline for me, you know, so she, she wasn't going through the challenge herself, but she, uh, as we talked and stuff, I realized that she had challenges that weren't with the same problems, but, you know, and then when I uh, told them about what I was thinking, her about what I was thinking and what I was feeling, I, for the first time, once I said it out loud, it just, I could do whether I could, uh, some more clarity came or she would say, that doesn't seem right to me. You know? So like I started, uh, you know, I, I, I was checking my reality, you know, and she would say, well, why don't you have a, you know, why don't you do something about that? You know? So she was kind of the first person that I opened up to and she was a really good confidant. She didn't tell people, you know, so yeah. Oh, beautiful. But isn't it so powerful to actually spell it out 
when mm-hmm. your own mouth forms the words and your own ears hear out of your mouth the truth yeah. that is mind-blowingly powerful. Mm-hmm. That is for me to say the words the first time in in rehab. Hello, I'm Stefan and I'm an alcoholic. Wow. Initially it hurt and I was proud. There was a roller coaster of emotions going through me and it was just mad. And then once I had actually defined that there were, I actually had a problem with alcohol. Yes, I had depression. I had PTSD. I had all the other things that were causing the pain, which I was numbing with the alcohol, I was still using far too much alcohol. So I, however I looked at it, I was an alcoholic. I was, I was just, yeah, I was not, no, not, not, not good. But it is that, that, that realization. Some people get it from journaling. Some people get it from actually writing things in a diary. Did, were you a diary girl in the past? Yeah, I still am. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, there you go. Mm-hmm. Did that help you? Or oh, was yeah, that immensely? Hmm. Indeed. It's, and it's something weird. I mean, we men typically don't have little, little nice, nice books where we write things in. Uh, Ooh, yeah. Pencil. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is, it is what it is. And that's the problem. So, so there are so many cliches we have to overcome to actually just say, okay, dear diary is actually a good idea. Okay. <laughs> just one second. I bent down and because, you know, that is, that is my diary sort of oh, zombie right. land and, and all kind of, so every, that lasts about what, six months then this is full and i have got a little wall of them by now and it is what it is boys accessorize okay this is good shit (laughs) so (laughs) exactly so just you know don't don't hold back because there are ways that that can help you and journaling might be something to start up with to actually just get concepts on paper. And actually the moment you're writing them, that's one step closer to admitting them. And then Mm -hmm. from there you can actually go out and hopefully find someone who is either in a similar boat or someone you can gel with who you can confide in. And I'm so pleased that you found that person. And more importantly, you found the, the, the guts to actually open up. Because that would have been a huge, a huge thing. You would have, yeah. you were full of shame and guilt uh, mm-hmm. yourself, and suddenly yeah. to admit to that, bloody hell, that takes yeah. something. Yeah, I didn't want to admit that I had problems. I wanted to look perfect, you know. And so it was really, <laughs> really hard for me to say, you know, yeah, I've got some stuff going on, and I'm sure everybody could see it, but you know, I wasn't willing to admit it. So, and then I, you know, I like um, what Brene Brown talks about about put shame in a Petri dish, you know, and it can grow or whatever. But once you, I don't think I'm getting the quote right, but anyways, the Mm. point is, is that sharing your story really gets rid of the shame, you know? And so this is one of the blessings of podcasting is that the more I talk about it, you know, the more, uh, the less shame I have. So it's a, and I've been able to work through a lot of, um, tell a lot of difficult stories and, they don't have that power over me anymore. It's like, that's in the past. And I was imperfect and I didn't make the right choices, but, you know, I've integrated it into who I am and I'm now grateful that I've been through, you know, those challenges, you know. 
Because it changes you. It changes you yeah. towards the woman that you are now, a woman who has found her moral compass, who has found out the differences between the not so healthy faults and what they did to her, and now changing the habits, changing the fault patterns into something that suits you far better and allows you to move away from those funny emotions. Because the deeds, the, the facts will not go away. The past has happened, but it's the amount of emotion that you attach to it or detach from it what we are doing in your in your podcast by actually talking about these things suddenly with every time you mention it there's less and less pain that is yeah. coming out and that's that's the beauty of podcasting that's the beauty of me sitting here being open about it and the pain is getting less and less mm -hmm. because i hope that out of my journey people can learn lessons that they don't have to, to, to do the hard way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I like the quote foresight. Hindsight is 2020. And so now that we have hindsight, we can help other people on their journey, you know? Yeah. Oh, I like that. When did you start that? When did you, so initially you were in a, in a, in a frame of mind. Okay. I need to look after myself. You started to learn to, to love yourself again. And you became more successful in that. You were saying that you built your own connections, your own friendships, and your husband did the same. And then you start to become a team. When did you decide that actually I need to be more active there and speak out in a more structured way? You, uh, you mean talking out, uh, talking publicly about it or yep. just... No, in the sense, right now, helping other women to actually go out there instead of uh, by accident talking to a, a girlfriend or someone you get to know to actually put yourself out there as a as a light, as a as a torch in the darkness for women to find you and that you can help them. Yeah, I think I've been podcasting for about a year now. So, and then I've been coaching other women and um, helping them for about a year. So it's just been recent that I've publicly, and it took me a long time to even get to that point. I'm sure you can relate, you know, that, <laughs> you know, it's a, you know, telling friends and family is a lot different than uh, putting up a website or, you know, having a podcast recorded your oh, story, yeah. oh, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's exactly. So it is my story. That part of my life now is really only, what, three quarters of a year now? Uh, and it started with my wife. I can blame her mm -hmm. uh, because she said, why don't you write a book about your experiences? Mm -hmm. And initially I thought, nah, like you, oh, I don't really want to be so much out there. Whilst yeah. I had given talks about addiction and things like that uh, within my setting as a doctor, as so I, I held grand rounds and, and was talking about, you know, and, mm -hmm. and within the hospital, giving little things there. But, oh, to write a book, ooh. But then once I started writing, I couldn't stop. Yeah. It literally, I couldn't stop until it was done. And then I thought, well, I might as well do some marketing because just another book that is somewhere on the internet that no one buys, well, that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And you start suddenly to find your voice. 
and to overcome the challenges. My kids were looking at me, what, you want to write a book about you? Oh my God, who, who do you think you are kind of a thing? And then what, you want to do a, you know, a podcast was not even on the, on the things. I was making little videos about myself and mm-hmm. they were just, oh my God, you're embarrassing us kind of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And there was a lot of, uh, there was imposter syndrome on my side. And yes. there was not necessarily all the support that I maybe could have wished for on behalf of my my young man. Um, and then I just one thing led to the other. And now I'm sitting here hosting this show. Now I'm talking to you who are actually in, in a very much similar, similar situation. And we are finding our voices. Yes. And we are hopefully becoming influencers in the nicest way, not in a negative way that this term unfortunately now has has been you know has gone to no it is it's beautiful it's beautiful to see you out there uh being there for women and sharing your frustrations and the lessons you have learned yeah one of the things i find is that the turning our pain into purpose you know it makes it worth it worth it you know you look back and you think if there's purpose in it then mm-hmm. You know, somehow it's easier to stomach, even though it was hard. You know, you kind of think, well, there was a a payoff. You know, not does that you know you could you know what I mean mm. yeah to make sense out of it to mm-hmm. make sense because otherwise it is just a pain that you think what was that all about what was that for uh, yeah. and with that you you can't give it closure or it's more difficult to to give it closure the closure that it deserves because remember mm-hmm. the past does not equal the future yeah. yes as addicts we're always prone to fall back into the behavior that we have shown or change the behavior unfortunately the issue of cross addiction is so common if you don't mm-hmm. deal with the underlying pain with the underlying problems as an addict yes you can stop drinking but then, you know, when do you start smoking or when do you yeah. start your sugar addiction? It's just a matter yeah. of time or mm-hmm. pornography or uh, endurance sports to a to your own detriment that mm-hmm. you just can't do anything else. And it's it's nothing else than than the same kind of avoidance of your emotion, of the trauma, of dealing with what is driving your addiction, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can throw yourself into too much work, workahol, you know, being exactly. workaholic. You exactly. Know? Yep. No, Comes well across done. as a good thing, but, you know, it's yeah. destructive. Yeah. Uh, the question is why, 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 yeah. why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, so true. And you're, uh, and that's great that you can hold the mirror in front of, of people's faces and, and show them by telling your own story, show them hopefully their ways and what is actually happening to them. It's often that realization where people suddenly, where I see the light going on when you say a story, when you tell a story, and suddenly they're very quiet mm-hmm. and they look away. You think you've lost them for a bit. And then the light goes on because they had just that revelation. Ah, that's okay. why, that's how, that's, ah, now that makes sense kind of a thing. And that's actually a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah, I think once you start uh, telling other people and then they have the same experience, it draws you closer to them, you know, 
Um, and um, so I think it, um, and it just makes you feel normal. For a long time, I always thought to myself, like, I must be a basket case. You know, I must be this weird person. But, you know, now that I tell my story and, you know, I hear that women act the same way and they did the same things, then it just takes this this load off of uh, I am normal. You know, I am okay. You know, and that's, I think, what everybody needs to hear. You know, you're this is emotional pain. This is how you deal with it, you know? <laughs> the, the word normal is so weird. I'm not sure that you even want to go there. It is, yeah. I, I'm proud not to be normal, okay? Yeah. So it is, I, I love my quirkiness. I love my madness. My, mm-hmm. my, I love who I am and I'm anything but normal. And yeah. I'm unique and I like to live that. But if you like the positive aspects of normal, and if you, I don't know, as, uh, whilst I don't like the word normal, I'm actually struggling to find another word that, that, that is, you know. So for, for the lack of a better word, I go with normal. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, you, are, you are okay. It's okay, okay. To, it's okay to be you. It's yeah. okay who you are and mm-hmm. how you have been dealing. You have been rolling with the punches. You have been going through hard times. It's okay. You have yeah. done that. There, I'm sure that, that all of you viewers and listeners, you will have done things that you are not proud of. And maybe because of your own volition, maybe because of the circumstances. It is what it is. The past does not equal the future. It is yeah. you just, the sheer fact that you guys are listening to this podcast or watching this YouTube video speaks volumes. You are here to make this a better world. So, learn from it and learn from our lessons, uh, Geraldine and me. We are, you know, we are, we are abnormally normal. Um, so, <laughs> so we are just okay. as, as, as stuffed up as you guys out there, okay? But we have found maybe a sense and a purpose in our suffering. In, and with that, we, we are stronger. We are able to change the world and we are able to change, change our immediate surrounding just that little bit by either talking honestly about what has happened to us or indeed by living differently, by mm-hmm. making living amends, I call it. Um, and it's basically to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. And that's the beautiful thing, to show, to show backbone, integrity, to live a life that you're actually proud of, that you don't feel shame and guilt. And that is that is what is waiting for you guys out there. That is where journeys can lead you to, to actually wake up and not think, oh my God, what did I do last night? And hopefully no one knows. No, no more hiding. No more, no more bullshit. No more, no more trying to, to somehow tell stories, which you know, hand on heart, that are not true. No. Oh, wow. So where's the future? What what brings the future for you? To what are your plans? Where do you want to take yourself? Well, right now I'm currently uh, writing a book. As it isn't finished yet, so I'm writing a book. I'm going to continue to podcast. Cool. I one day want to um, own a ranch and. Uh, have horses and have my grandkids visit. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. That sounds. And still, have, do our family band. <laughs> <laughs> the family when band. When they visit. 
Excellent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. The bass. <laughs> oh, excellent. So so classic big bass, contrabass or uh, electric bass? What electric do you play? Bass. Electric bass. Yeah, electric. Oh, yeah. beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> no, oh, well done. Um, I am so pleased that we made contact. I'm so pleased that, that you came onto my show and shared your your painful past but equally your your story is so powerful because the two of you were able to pull through to put the hard work in and here you are that is that takes real determination that takes willingness humility mm -hmm. um, there are so many requisites for that but if you're willing to put the work in you can make that happen and that is really 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 beautiful so the chances are there not every not every story will have a nice ending there will be some stories where the heroine in this case has to walk away because it's too painful or it's too unsafe or too many other things are happening and that that there is no way of rescuing a relationship and that's okay too so yeah. that is That is, you need to look after yourself in the very first instance. When the aeroplane is in trouble and the oxygen comes down, what do they teach you? Put it on yourself first. You need to look mm -hmm. after yourself. Only then can you help others. And that is exactly the same in your, in your relationships, in your daily life. Look after yourself, guys. So, Jolyn, thank you so much, so much. This was a fantastic interview. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I'm, I'm humbled and blessed that you came onto my show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You've been a great host. I really love your show. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. And you're a very inspiring man. So, oh, thank you. I'm grateful you. that you uh, are willing to share your story with other people. And I love your authenticity and your vulnerability. So, thank you so much. No trouble. And you guys out there, make the most out of this beautiful day. Look after yourself. Bye. <laughs>